Shalom everyone, and welcome to our new weekly Soul of the Parsha class. This week's Parsha is Parashat Emor. It is the 31st Parsha of the Torah, the 8th Parsha of the book of Vayikra. And our topic for today is the art of giving, which is also the art of teaching. It's the art of bestowing upon the, the other person, it could be our children, it could be our students, it could be anyone who, for whom we want, uh, on whom we want, or whom we want to influence, to improve their lives, to bring something to their lives, bring light into their lives. It's a subtle art. It's something very delicate. We can easily become from good teachers and good parents to doing a very poor job of what we're doing. It's very delicate. How do we stand tall above someone without being at all arrogant or condescending? How do we maintain this balance between feeling very humble and very lowly and also being able to be there, take responsibility and teach what it is we need to teach, give what it is we need to give and be the mashpia. The mashpia is the giver, the influencer, the, the bestower, the one who knows that he holds on to certain truth and that truth needs to be passed on, but this must be done in absolute humility. This is a, a delicate balancing act. It's like walking on a, on, on, a, on, a, on a tight rope and you can fall in two directions very, very easily and very powerfully. So this is our topic for today. This parsha has several topics. What we're talking this year only about the first segment of each parsha, the first aliyah. And in particular, we're always, we try to focus on the very opening verses. And today we're going to focus on the very first verse. And the very first verse goes like this. I'm going to read it in Hebrew and then in English. Vayomer Hashem el Moshe, emor el kohanim bnei Aharon, ve'amarta lehem lenefesh lo itama be'amav. Uh, and God spoke to, said to Moshe, say to the priests, the son of Aaron, and you shall say to them, they shall be, they should be careful not to become impure. Uh, that is, it means that they need to steer clear from anything that has to do with death. It is well known that in Judaism it's forbidden for a priest to go into a cemetery, or if he goes into a cemetery, there has to be special paths that are far away enough from the graves. Priests need to, re- the, the, the basis of all impurity is, is, has to do with death, and the priests have to stay away from this. But what, what's interesting about this verse is not this topic. This topic is a very particular one. This is the topic of the first verses of this parsha, has to do with this, uh, warning, this uh, rule, this mandate that the the priests have, that they should be very careful to steer clear from anything that involves death. But what, what happened with this verse is that this verse was adopted and taken up, and and a very basic general rule that has nothing to do with priests or purity or impurity has been learned from it, and this is what we want to focus on. There's something unique about the way this verse is formulated. There's a very, there's a unique phenomenon here that doesn't appear in any other verses. 
you don't see it the first time you read it, but once you notice it, you can't unsee it. And this is the repetition of the injunction to say. It sounds very simple, but this is the name of the parsha. Emor means say, you shall say. And what happens here is that there is a... Actually, the word, the verb, appears three times. But what really makes it strange is the second two times. So the very first time is Vayomer Hashem and Moshe. God said to Moshe, this isn't special. It's, many verses begin like this. But then comes the strange repetition. Say to the priests, and you shall say to them, Emor ve'amarta. This appears nowhere else in the Torah except in this verse. So whenever the rabbis, whenever the, the students of the Torah, whenever they encounter it's a unique phenomenon in the way uh, a verse is formulated, because there are many formulas that repeat. If they repeat, they're not special. But if, some, if every once in a while the formula is broken, that says, that asks of you to explore me. The Omer Darsheni. It means you, please go deeper into, into me, says the verse, because there's a secret hidden here. So what did the what did the Talmud learn from this strange repetition, Emor Amarta, say, and then again you shall say? So they learned they added another element, and this element is that when the priests are told to be careful of impurity, they not only should heed it themselves, but they should also teach their children and make sure that their children observe this rule. Children run around, and they walk around, but their parents, the priests that are older, need to take care of them and, and teach them that they should be careful not to go into a cemetery, or not to go into a house that there's someone who just died there, and they should be very, very careful for this. So they should watch over their children, because their children are not yet autonomous. So this this is an explanation for the double repetition of saying, you're not only, Moshe is not only telling the priests something, or saying something to the priests, he's also telling them to uh, pass on this knowledge, pass on this teaching to their children. So this is the Emor Amarta. Say, and you shall say. It's almost like, tell them to tell their children, right? Something like this. So there is a, a there needs there needs to be a like a chain, like a, um, a chain of transmission of this saying. So it starts the very as I said, there are three times that this verb to say appears. The first is God speaking, Vayomer, and then Emor, and then Vamata. Now this has been expanded even further into a more an even more general rule, which is that not only priests, everyone. The, the parents have an obligation to teach their children. This sounds very fundamental, very simple, but this is, uh, it, it's not so simple when you're talking, for example, about religious education. Uh, one is obligated to observe the mitzvot only when one is, if you're a boy, when you're 13, if you're a daughter, when you're 12. And maybe you can say, well, they, uh, only then should they start, but it doesn't go this way. You, they need to be taught and uh, and they need to practice, they need to practice in the two senses of the words, they need to practice the practical aspect of the mitzvot, 
and they need to practice, just like you practice an instrument. They need to go into this when they're young, so then it becomes part of their lives. So this general rule that you need to transmit your knowledge to your children is also learned from this very, very verse. So what we want to do with this is we want to take this, the way Chazal, the way the sages formulated this, their exact expression, which is repeated in Rashi on this verse, is Lehazhir Gdolim al Haktanim to warn the big ones, the adults, over or regarding their the the little ones, the small ones, the children. So the exact term, the exact phrase in Hebrew is Lehazhir Gdolim al Haktanim to warn the adults or the parents or the grown-ups regarding or over their or on their children or the small ones. Literally, it means to warn the big regarding or over the small in the plural. So it's like grown-ups and children or uh, uh, parents and, and children or adults and kids and so on. So, of course, this we can explain this in many ways. This could be, as I said in the beginning, this could be a, a parent and their children. This could be uh, a student that you may have if you're a teacher. This could be anyone under your sphere of influence. If you have a sphere of influence, uh, that means you are the influencer, you are the mashpia. And then the people who are under your sphere or in your sphere of influence, they're called the mekablim, the recipients. So in that sense, you become big or great, and they become small. They become almost like children a little bit, because they're the recipients. And you are the giver. You are the uh, influencer. So this could also, we could also be talking about something that's going on inside of us. We have a within us a child and an adult. The adult is the one that's more connected to the divine light, to knowledge, to wisdom, to rationality. And we want to pass on the light that this mature, higher self has to our lower self, childish or childlike uh, persona that's within us. So within us, there's also a gadol and a katan, a, a, an adult and a child, or a, someone who's big and someone who's small. So what we want to is we want to go very deeply into this uh, phrase, lehazhir gadolim alaktanim, and to ask, what does it mean to be big? And what does it mean to be small? Or what does it mean to be great or an adult? And what does it mean to be small or childish or childlike? How do we balance our greatness and our littleness, our maturity and our childishness at the same time? This is the balancing act. We should also add that the particular word chosen here to serve as the word to warn is also a very intriguing word in Hebrew. Lehazhir. It could have been lelamed, it could have been lehadrich, to teach, to guide. could have been several words, but the word chosen by the rabbis and preserved by Rashi is lehazhir. Lehazhir is to warn. But the root of this uh, verb is the, is the word, is the three-letter root zohar, Zohel. This means to radiate light, to shine light. It is the very same root of the book of Zohar, 
which was written by Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, whose Yorzeit, of course, we are going to celebrate later on this week. This is also the week of Lagba Omer, the 33rd day of the Omer, a very, very joyous festive, festive day, that is the, the passing, which in, in, Kabbalist, in the Kabbalistic Hasidic context, this is considered a very joyous day, when a tzaddik passes on from this world to the other, this isn't considered a tragedy or a loss. Of course, it's also a loss, but it's also considered a hilula, a day of joy. There is something joyous about the, the tzaddik, the righteous man, reuniting with his divine source. And also, there's a certain aspect in which the light of this tzaddik can shine on with greater power and with greater impact after they pass on. It's often likened to a sun setting. When the sun is present in the skies, then it's daylight and it's warm and we can and everything there's warmth and light, the two things that we crave the most. But when you try to look directly at the sun, it blinds you. However, when the sun sets, then although it becomes darker and cooler, colder, uh, you can indirectly look at the sun's light via the moon. The moon is everything that Sadiq leaves behind. It's his books, it's his students, it's his legacy, it's his memory. And, and, and there's something about the moon that you can look at directly, it doesn't blind you, and you can receive its light in a very direct way. So in a way, after the tzaddik passes away, his light, or in this case his zohar, his uh, radiant light, the light that shines from his Torah, from his personality, from his legacy, is even more radiant after he passes away. And indeed, when Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was alive, he only had a tiny group of, of students. They were all together, including him. There were just 10 people who learned the secrets of the Zohar. And it wasn't even a book then. It was written uh, very gradually and very secretly by his students. And they documented all their conversations and their Torah. And then it lay hidden for over a thousand years. And only uh, a few centuries ago, about uh, 700 years ago, was it revealed. So now we have the benefit of the book of the Zohar. So anyway, this book of Zohar, which we celebrate uh, on this week on Lagba Omer, celebrating generally the spirit and the character and the person and the righteousness of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, is very deeply connected to this parsha because of this uh, phrase that we just spoke about, Lehazhir Gedolim Alaktanim, to warn the grown-ups regarding their children or the elder priests regarding the younger priests. But again, the word to warn is Lehazhir. So Lehazhir it's the root actually of several words in Hebrew. It's to warn. It's to be careful. Lehizahel. And it's also Zohar, light, radiant light. A very spiritual word for light. There are many words for light in Hebrew. This is in many ways the most spiritual or divine word. This is why it was chosen to be the name of the book of the Zohar. So, so there's something about the, the we can read this verse lehazhir gedolim alaktanim that it's not just saying or teaching or giving over words emor veamarta passing on the words it's not just the words it's passing on the light lehazhir gedolim alaktanim is to let the radiance of the Torah shine through you 
and into your children or your students or the people who come to your Chabad house if you happen to be a shaliach, an emissary of, of the Rebbe or an emissary of another Rebbe. Whatever it is you're doing in your life, we all have to be emissaries of Hashem to pass on His light. We need to be channels of light so that this light passes through us to, to other people, to more people. So we all need to be teachers or emissaries or messengers and conduits of light. In that sense, we, are, we have a certain greatness to us, even if we're not great people, you know, uh, in terms of, what, of who we are, what we achieved. And, but we have this greatness that is passing through us. And we need to transmit it to people who have not yet been, uh, for some reason or other, not fortunate either because they're young or because their life, uh, uh, their history, their biography, the way they grew up or the way what happened to them in their lives, they are far away from a certain light that we happen to be the custodians of. So we need to transmit it to them. So now what we're going to do is we're going to look at three main interpretations for this phrase, to warn or to shine light from the great to the small. And we're going to order them because they come together. These three interpretations come together to create a very beautiful whole. It's like parts of a whole. And if you take all three of them as not just different interpretations, but stages, three stages, stage one, stage two, stage three, of a process, it becomes something very, very um, powerful and very practical that we can really all use in various contexts of our lives, as parents, teachers, emissaries, whatever it is. So we're going to order the three interpretations according to the three concepts that are very well known. And if you study with Miriam, you know them all, uh, uh, that were taught to us by the Baal Shem Tov, submission, separation, and sweetening. So many people know this, but this is also going on YouTube, and many people are not familiar with this. So I'm going to just very, very quickly uh, repeat or describe what these three concepts mean, and then we'll go on to the three interpretations. So the, the Baal Shem Tov said that in every important um, process that we're going through in our lives, whether it's something we learn, or something we teach, or something that we work on in our own inner work, we should go through three main stages. And they, they, they then divide into sub-stages, and they also, it's a spiral process, so they repeat, but there are three general steps. And they are called submission, hachna'a, separation, havdala, and sweetening, hamtaka. So, submission, the first stage, means uh, admitting, acknowledging that I am imperfect, that I am not whole, that I am need of growth, that I need to change, I need to, I need to learn something. I am imperfect, I am not perfect, no process, no uh, journey of learning, no learning curve of any sort begins without a certain kind of submission, admitting that I don't know something or I don't have something and I need to be, I need to learn it and I need to learn it for something that's higher than me. This beautifully connects to the fact that tonight we're beginning, we're going into the uh, fifth week of the Omer, which is the week of this fear of Hod. Hod means, among other things, acknowledgement. Lagba Omer, the day of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, is in particular 
הוד שבהוד. The hod aspect within the sphere of hod, which is the most hod-like day. It's the day of absolute acknowledgement that we, we know nothing. And this is, of course, the key to learning Kabbalah, to learning the secrets, the mysteries of the Torah, is acknowledging how much we don't understand the world and God and the Torah. And this opens up our minds and our hearts to learning the mysteries of the Torah. Because we should really go into... Uh, any inner form of learning, when we're opening any Kabbalah book, Hasidus book, we need to open this from a perspective of, I don't know. And I admit, I acknowledge that I don't know. So anyway, this is submission. Submission uh, is admitting or accepting my own imperfection and, and my, 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 uh, the fact that I need to grow and learn. The second stage is called separation. Separation means that once I've submitted uh, that I am imperfect, I can now go into myself and separate my lower self from my higher self, my lower aspects from my higher aspects. If I would have, had I not submitted first, I would not have been able to distinguish the two, because the, it was the lower self, which is stronger and cruder, and louder that is taking charge, taking control of everything. So I need to subdue and submit this lower self, and then the higher, quieter, more delicate self can come forth. And then I'm able to separate the two, and I'm able to tell myself I want to identify with my higher self and disidentify with my lower self. This is separation. And finally comes sweetening. Sweetening is when I go full circle and I'm able to regain a kind of naturalness. I was very unnatural during the submission and separation stages. I needed to accept the fact that I'm imperfect. I need to be a little bit even suspicious of who I am, of what I'm used to, what I'm accustomed to, the kinds of things I'm used to do, the kinds of things I'm used to say, to, to saying. And... Um, and sweetening is when I've, I've connected to a certain extent, to a sufficient extent, to my higher self, so then I can let go a little bit and let this higher self express himself without constantly stopping it short and, and, and you know, doing this subduing or submission. So this is the sweetening. Sweetening almost happens of itself, It happens when I've worked enough on the first two stages and then I'm in a new place and I can express myself freely or more easily until I get to the next cycle of submission, separation, sweetening. So now we're going to look at three interpretations for the, for the phrase להזהיר גדולים על הקטנים to warn or shine light from the, from the higher to the lower, from the great to the small which correspond, very beautifully correspond, to the three stages. And then we really get something beautiful out of this. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful tool that we can use in our lives. So, the first interpretation goes like this. What does it mean, להזהיר גדולים על הקטנים? It means we need to warn the great, the big, the older, the elder, the more, 
those with more authority, those who have, a, have the higher rank, they need to be warned that they need to look at themselves as small. They need to be warned that they should be themselves small, that they should look at themselves as if they were small. They should think lowly, not highly, of themselves. So, we need to explain this. When we, are, when we, look, when we look at the, at the phrase, the way it was presented originally, it said, It sounds very simple. We have the gdolim, the big ones, and we have the ktanim, the little ones. But now, really, this is far more complicated. Uh, if you're, let's say you're bigger than someone, age-wise, does it, does it really make you bigger in, in a deeper sense? Are you, in, are you better than him? Necessarily? Not necessarily. You could be a big baby, for example, and this could be a very mature young boy or young kid. Uh, if, if we're talking about people who are of the, of the same age, this becomes even clearer. You have a teacher and a student, or you have a shaliach, an, an emissary or a messenger of the Rebbe, or of someone who wants to, to pass on a certain teaching, and he has a student. Uh, so maybe the first one, you, you're the teacher, you know something the other person doesn't know, so it makes you bigger. But does it mean that you are essentially, essentially, bigger or better or greater than the other person? Of course it doesn't. So the main, the first lesson, the first thing to remind ourselves before we start teaching is that we're no better and no bigger and no greater than anyone else. Even, by the way, if we're talking about parents and children, there is something about parents and children, that of course the parents are bigger and greater and more important than everything else. But there is something that if the parent thinks of himself as essentially bigger or better than this child, he's, he will not be able to teach the child anything. He need, he, why? Because he doesn't experience himself as also a child and a student. The first interpretation, the first stage is that the teacher must also be a student, and the adult must also be a child. And the emissary, or the shluach, that wants to teach, must also be a, a chassid, a learner from his own rebbe. They need to be small. This has several reasons. In our generation, there's something that's happening in our generation that didn't exist to such a degree in previous generations, that people will simply not have it that they will be taught from a condescending point of view. It wasn't like this a few decades ago even. Uh, it was very commonplace to find a teacher acting very condescendingly. And it didn't trouble anyone. Because he was the teacher, the master, the principal. There is something... It has to do, of course, with the, uh, the ideology of democracy and equality being becoming more and more widespread. The more it became widespread, the more equality became the main value that's heralded everywhere. Uh, the more it became that no one can, hardly anyone can stand it 
when someone tries to teach them something and you feel that there is even a slight sense of condensation there, condensation, how do you say, of arrogance, of, of being considering yourself to be higher than the other person. It just it doesn't work. We could say it's part of the, the general deterioration of culture and civilization that nobody wants to learn anything, nobody wants to nobody is willing to submit or subdue himself or admit that he need, he can learn something from that people know something better than him. that we're all so arrogant that that it's really too much arrogance. Someone could say this that we're so arrogant that we can't stand the fact that someone knows better than us. Or know something know something that we don't or is more competent in a certain field than us and and accept this very simply but of course there's also a very divine spark to this and the divine spark has to do with the fact that when we add God to the picture then indeed all the human hierarchies of whoever is greater than someone else all ladders all hierarchies of Of knowledge and competence and experience in many ways they all completely disappear because the wisest most powerful greatest person in the world is still infinitely far away from God we are all infinitely far away from God God is the master of masters the king of kings the teacher of teachers he is higher than the highest And not only is he higher than the highest, but he, he is infinitely high. And that means that if someone gets zero in the exam and someone gets a hundred in the exam, they both of them, they really get a zero compared to what God is getting in the exam, because God invented the entire subject. And so everything you know, in everything you think of yourself as being better than someone else, it's because you compare yourself to this other person. But if you compare the two of you to Hashem, to God, then you immediately feel that you are on equal grounds, absolutely equal. You, you, both of you, the wisest person in the world and the stupidest person in the world, they become equally stupid or equally small vis-a-vis or in relation to the infinite greatness of God. It's very simple. So it's not just that if you... come to your parenting or to your teaching or to your shlichut from a condescending point of view it's not just that it's simply not going to work because people will just wouldn't stand for it and wouldn't accept it and would would learn nothing from you it's there's also a deeper reason for that it's not just them unwilling being unwilling or being you know having a lot of chutzpah maybe And not being willing to learn from you it could be also that but it's not just that it's also the fact that uh, a, your sense of grandeur is in many ways a an illusion a delusion a delusion of grandeur so the first stage is to warn the great they, they should think of themselves as small the Zohar right Rabbi Shimon's book says a very enigmatic sentence it says translation he who is small is great and he who is great is small what does it mean we'll start with the second half 
He who is great is really small. Someone who thinks of himself as great, as Gadol, is really very small because he, he he's comparing himself to other people instead of comparing himself to God. If you start comparing yourself to God, you realize how small you are. So the person who thought of himself as great is really very small, very small-minded. However, man he who is small, who knows that he's small, who thinks of himself as small, who is lowly in his own eyes, is truly great. He is the truly great one. So, um, so this is the very first element that we have here. We need to learn to accustom ourselves to thinking as ktanim, as small, as little, as children. I have a good friend who founded a, 20 years ago, he founded a Chabad house in a certain city in North India. And when he first went on his shlichut to, to set up the place, he had a, uh, a um, farewell farbrengen with Rabbi Ginsburg. And Rabbi Ginsburg told him something beautiful. He told him, you know, on the surface, you're going there to India because there are people there who need you. They're traveling in India, they don't have a kosher place, they don't have a place to teach them Judaism, or they're only learning Eastern religions. And you're the teacher, they're the students, you're the one connected to the light, connected to, to the Torah, and they're disconnected, and you're going there in order to be to give them what they don't have. This is all on the surface. On a deeper level, it's the exact opposite. The only person, who, the only people who can save you from yourself, who can help you grow, are those souls traveling in India. You're so lost that your teachers are wandering somewhere over there, and you have to get all the way over there, and you need to meet all those travelers that know nothing about Judaism, but they know a lot of things that you don't, and they are the key to your own tshuva and your own growth. And so you're going there, not for them, you're going there for you. And they're, the, they're, they're your teachers, they're your influencers, your own tshuva, your own growth, your own true learning and growing is dependent upon you meeting them and, and having this relationship with them, that you, they come to your chabaros and you talk. And of course you'll teach them things they don't know, but you'll also learn so much. If you'll stay here, it's not just that they're not going to have a teacher, you're not going to have your own teachers. So on a deep level, it's completely reversed. You're the small one, not the big one. On the surface, you're the big one. They're the small one, because you have Torah, and they don't have Torah. You're connected to Judaism. They're not connected to Judaism. On a deeper level, it's the very opposite. You're small in terms of your spiritual lights. They're, the fact that they're traveling there and they appear to be lost, it's because they have, they're very big souls. Their souls are very big, very great. And they're looking for greatness. They're looking for, they want to explore the world and find the, a God that's bigger than your God. And you need this. You need them to, to remind you and give you this and, and give this light to you. And then together, you'll become, uh, you'll both grow. It's a beautiful, beautiful uh, description of, of all teaching, of all hashpa'a, all influencing or giving or bestowing. That, that on a deeper level, you're the, you're, the teacher is the student. 
So, uh, by the way, another way to read is להזהיר גדול, the, the phrase, to read the phrase is להזהיר גדולים על הקטנים, is להזהיר גדולים על ידי הקטנים, to shine light on the, on the, on the great ones, through the small ones. להזהיר גדולים על ידי הקטנים. It's the קטנים, the small ones, that are giving light to the big ones. So you, so who's the big one? It's them. It's, it's what you thought were the קטנים, the small ones. And who's the small one? It's you, that you thought you, you were the great one. You thought you were the emissary going to teach Torah. It turns out you're the student learning about spiritual greatness and freedom and exploration and seeking and doing tshuva. You learn it from those potential ba'alei tshuva. So this is the very first level. So the first interpretation of להזהיר גדולים על הקטנים is warn, remind the great ones to think of themselves as small ones, to be small in their eyes, and then they'll be able to gain the light of those whom they thought to be the, the small ones, which are truly the great ones. So this is submission. Second interpretation, separation. There's another side to the whole story. If it was just the first stage, just the first interpretation, and you're a parent, and you tell yourself, well, really, ultimately, I'm just a child. I'm a child of God. I know nothing. I'm no better than my child. I can totally understand my child's faults and weaknesses and, 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 and confusion, because I'm also confused. If you're a teacher and you say, well, I'm no better than my students, and I'm, I, I really know nothing also. I'm also just a lost soul. And, or if you're an emissary, a Chabad emissary, and you say, well, I'm, I'm no better, I'm even smaller than these, these people who are coming into my Chabad house, then it's very good as a starting point, but then you won't be able to teach anyone anything. Because you know, now you've lost all confidence in the fact that you do know something the other person doesn't. You've completely lost all confidence in this. So there has to be a second stage. And the second stage, the stage of separation, is that now you need to separate yourself from the other person and also separate yourself internally from the child within you. And you have to reclaim your greatness. So the second interpretation is warn the great ones that they should remind themselves not to over-identify with the small ones. Not to think too lowly of themselves in their own eyes. Because then they can't be teachers, or parents, or emissaries. You have to reclaim your own greatness. The pshat was the greatness, because you looked at the verse, at the phrase, it says, there are gdolim, there are ktanim, there are big ones and small ones, and, and the big ones have to teach, and you're the big one now. You're the, you're the responsible adult in the room. But then, in order not to, not to actualize this in an arrogant or condescending way, you had to go through the submission stage. But it's only a stage. And the second stage is where you, you remind yourself that you do have, you are connected to a certain greatness, or to something great, or to something big, or to a certain, to some light, to some knowledge, to some understanding of the world, understanding of Judaism, that the people around you are not as connected to it. It's not because you're better than them. You're not. You've reminded yourself of this very 
very well in the first stage. It's because that's the way it happened to be. It's because that's, that's just how it is. Someone has to be the teacher and someone has to be the student. And right now you know something they don't. You know Aleph. They don't know Aleph. Or you know, or they know Aleph, but you know Bet. There's something you know that they don't. Otherwise you wouldn't be around here as the parent or the teacher or the emissary. And you need to be connected to this. And con- being connected to this means that you're not castrating or limiting your own self from knowing what you know and being connected to what you know and not being ashamed of it and not apologizing for it and not being not adopting some false humility that says, oh, who am I to teach? No, no, you, you, you are the one that needs to teach because you know something that they don't. And this is, this makes you stand tall. You need to now stand tall and be the great one. Be the mature one. Be the big one. Be the one who's there and is connected to a certain truth and is unashamed of it and is unapologetic about it. And then you can give that truth to the other person. And because you went through the first stage, and the first stage doesn't go anywhere, it's now there as a, as a sort of basic level that you've created, that protects the second stage from becoming arrogant or condescending, or looking from on high. A combination is created between the two interpretations and the two stages, that you stand tall while simultaneously feeling small at one and the same time. There's, a, there's this famous psychologist called Jordan Peterson. He has a book called 12 Rules for Life. The first rule that he writes there is called Stand Up Straight With Your Shoulders Back. And he's, this is, for him it's the first rule to life. Stand up straight with your shoulders back means that you shouldn't be apologetic. You, you should adopt a sort of combat, combative, or combative view. And, you know, treat the world like a combat and you need to stand up and fight and insist and strive and be very active. Here, we have this, but as a second stage. Why? Because there's something about this and the way he phrases it. Stand up straight with your shoulders back and putting it as the first rule that if you're connected to Judaism or to faith, something is jarring, something doesn't sound good. It sounds too much like, my strength and the, my power and the strength of my arm that gives me, gives me this power. And there's something you shouldn't do. This is an explicit verse. Don't say, is my, the strength and the power of my arm that give, give me this strength or this capability. No, it's It's God who gives you the strength. Which means humility needs to precede this kind of standing up tall. So how can we imagine a more rectified kind of standing tall? It's not just stand up straight with your shoulders back, because that's all you. That's all you, and that becomes you bigger than him, and you better than him, and you want to be on top of some hierarchy, and him being on the bottom of it. And it does have room here. For, it's the second stage here, but it's the second one. 
It starts with being with knowing that you're no better than anyone else. And that's that's a, something big more basic to identify with. And then how do we imagine a kind of standing tall that isn't ego-like or doesn't put so much of my own weight into it that it's all about me? By imagining that I'm being pulled up from my crown, so to speak. It's not that I'm, you know, putting my shoulder, taking my shoulders back and my chest forward. He doesn't say that, but when you take your shoulders back, you put your chest forward. It's the same thing. He wouldn't say put your chest forward because it sounds arrogant. So he says with your sho- he says with your shoulders back, but it's the same thing. But if you think there there is another way of standing up tall, which is being connected to what's at the at the top of your the spinal cord, so to speak, which is the crown, like the the Kabbalistic sphere of crown. The crown is your superconscious, your faith, your connection to God. It's not you. It's in a way it's God Himself. He puts the crown on your head. I met this uh, young Bala Chuva a few weeks ago. And she told me something very beautiful. She told me that whenever she she got confused, she because all of her friends were secular and they didn't observe any mitzvot, and she was suddenly connecting to Shabbat and also to Shmirat Negi'ah and not touching uh, before you get married, and and uh, and all all her friends were making fun of her. So it was very confusing. So she said, whenever I was confused because they were making fun or they were attacking me or saying that it's nonsense that I didn't know what to answer exactly, but I inside I knew that I want to do this. I knew that I'm connected to this. So then I told myself, straighten up your crown. That's what she said to herself. Straighten up your crown. You know it to be true. You know it to be good. In your superconscious. Straight up your crown. And that pulled her upwards. She didn't say to herself, stand up straight with your shoulders back. Because that would have been just, you know, her against them, me against you, you know, like you're like, like uh, how do you uh, arm wrestling? She came out of the arm wrestling by saying, "It's not me or you, and I'm no better than you." But I I know this to be true, and even if I can't convey this or convince you of this, internally I know this to be true. Where do I know this in my crown? So I straighten up my crown. And immediately I stand up straight. Not with a puffed up chest, not with my shoulders back, not in a way that, it, that I'm strong, that I'm the one who knows something you don't. It's for some reason I can't understand, I discovered something that you, for some reason, have not yet discovered. And I'm not judging you at all, because I have no idea what your life journey is, and what the path that you need to go through. I have no idea. But I do know what I know, and what I know, I'm not hiding from myself. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm connected to it. So you need to close your eyes, remember your crown, straighten up your crown, and then you stand up straight. And then you can teach without being arrogant, without being condescending. In a way, we can say it's not just the crown. There are two sefirot that we can say are at the top of the spinal cord. One is ketel, superconscious. The other is dat, which is consciousness itself, or knowledge, what you know. We can say that there are two things you need to be connected to. Things that you know rationally, you just know them. It's facts that you've learned, 
It's a certain understanding that you've gained. It's not. It doesn't have to do with faith. It's just. It's. A, it's a fact that you know to be a fact. It's knowledge. It's not ketel. It's knowledge. So in the second stage, you need to straighten up and connect yourself to two things. One is to what you know. You don't think you know it. You're not under the illusion or impression that you know it. You know it. Don't pretend you don't know it. Don't act childish or foolish. You know something that they don't, so it's your obligation, it's your duty to, to pass it on to them. If, 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 if they're willing to learn, or finding a way, or trying at least, don't be humble in a negative way. And you say, who am I to judge them, and who am I... You don't, you're not judging them, but you're seeing, you know, that they don't know something that you know, and which is very vital to them. You've under, you have understood something about life, that this child, or this student, or this person in your house, or whoever it is, don't know. It's not, you, it's not arrogance, it's just, it's, it's just you know it, and they don't, and you see that they don't. And you see that, they, that they're, they're wandering around, ignorant of this particular thing. You know it. So if you know it, don't shy away from teaching it. Teach, warn the great ones not to be small ones, to separate themselves from the small, not to be overly confused, to, to go into the small-mindedness of the small, of the students, and be so much intermingling with them that you, you can't teach them anything. So one is knowledge. And the other is also things that you do it's not that you know them in some rational or factual way, but you have faith in them. This is subtler, it's more invisible, it's higher than knowledge, it's ketel, it's the crown. There's knowledge and crown. Dat ve ketel. Ketel is not what you know, because ketel has to do with faith. Faith is not knowledge in the, in the regular sense. It can't be proven... It can't be rationally explained because then it wouldn't be faith. It could be, it would be knowledge. But there are some things that you don't know as a fact, but you very strongly believe in them. You have faith in them through the faith that we inherited from Abraham, through the faith that we get from the Torah and from Moshe Rabbeinu. And this is subtler. Because you can't teach it in a sort of direct way. In a way, you need to demonstrate it, something else. You need to just live it in a very authentic way, and that passes on to the other. But even this requires a certain standing tall, a certain connection, connection to my crown, connection to my knowledge, connecting to what I know and connecting to what I don't know in the strict sense of the word, but I'm, I'm, I, I, I feel in a very deep way. I, I, I'm deeply convinced of it. I believe it. I have faith in it. I'm going to be more subtle also in the way I pass it on to someone. Maybe I'm not going to talk about it, but I'm just going to be there. So this is the second stage. It's a stage of separation. It's, it's, there's, there's a little bit of pride here, but it's not pride in an arrogant, negative sense. It's, like I said, it's standing tall and being connected to these two things. 
Um, there's also something here that being connected, being connected to this greatness within me, or the or the this great knowledge or this great truth that I'm connected to, and and not again not apologizing or pretending I am not connected to it, it's also vital for this student or child, because then I'm able to to connect them to their own potential greatness. Sometimes a child, when they're, they reach adolescence, they think of themselves as bigger than what they truly are. They're just 13 or 14, but they feel like they're 18 or 19. And they feel that they don't need the grown-ups anymore. And if, you, and if we would have remained in the first stage, of the submission stage, of reminding the great to think of himself as small, we would have allowed them to remain under this false impression that they're adults, whereas they're not adults. And you give them the gift of retaining still their childishness, because they really are still children in a way. They're not... 80-year-olds, they're 13 or 14-year-olds, but they're not 18 or 19 either. And, and this is a gift for them. When they pretend to be older than they are, or more independent, or more knowledgeable, or more understanding of the world than they truly are, at that moment, they're, con- they're disconnecting themselves from their root. Their root is you their parent, their teacher, the person here that can connect them to something higher than themselves. But they think they don't need a teacher. They think they know everything. So they're disconnecting themselves from their root. When you're telling them, you know, you don't know as much as you think you know, or there are some some things you still don't know, and you insist on this, then they're not going to like it in the short run. But in the long run, you have given them an amazing gift. You reminded them that they are they still need to be connected to a root and to grow from that root. That if they will if they will continue on their path, they will be rootless. They will be disconnected. And they're going to drift. And that's not a good thing. So by 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 reminding them that they're they don't know something. And not being afraid of saying it. You know, I'm listening to you and I'm very respectful, but I have to tell you something. You, you have no idea what you're talking about. Or you have very little idea of what you're talking about. I know this amazing Baalat Shuvah. I'm talking about Baalat Shuvah today. Amazing Baalat Shuvah, who many years ago, she was a student, and she spoke to someone who was religious. I think he was also already on the path of Shuvah, or maybe it was religious from, from birth. Either way, she was, of course, very anti-religious and very, you know, condescending of religion. She, she argued with him about certain things in the Torah. I'm not, I don't remember what they were. And at some point he told her, you know, this, we can go on all night, but the truth is you have no idea what you're talking about. And, and this is deeply problematic for this conversation. It's as if uh, we're playing uh, golf, but you're you're having you're having you're you have a cricket uh, bat. It's like you're holding the wrong. You, you you're not you don't know the the you the you don't know what you're talking about. 
and she was appalled that he was so arrogant, she thought, to say this outright to her, to tell her that she doesn't know what she's talking about. She was so offended. And if he would have been afraid of offending, he would have said it. But it's, a, it's an amazing thing that he wasn't afraid of offending her. That this is the second stage here, that you're not afraid of offending. Offending is not the worst thing you can do to someone. The worst thing you can do to someone is to let them remain under the illusion that they know everything. This is far worse than offending them. So fortunately for everyone, especially the children she now has, <laughs> after she did tshuva, and all the other people who, whose lives she touched, including my own, by the way, he did offend her. And she went to her room offended and then started crying. And at, at some point admitted that he was absolutely right. That she does indeed have no idea what she was talking about and she knows nothing about Judaism and she needs to learn. And she was able to go into her own stage of submission and, and her own uh, growth curve. So when you're willing to be the big one, after you've reminded yourself that you were very small in essence, you're giving the other person the gift of smallness, which is also the gift of his ultimate greatness. Because only once they admit that they're small can they grow and become the great person they, they need and can be and should become. So now we have a very interesting combination. The submission stage and the separation stage in this context, the two opposite interpretations of the same phrase, the first one made us stand equal to the other person or maybe even under the other person. You should be lowly in front of everyone, said the sages. Right, like the, the person who went to India to set a Chabad house, the Rabbi Ginsburg told him, you were the student, not the teacher. So you're under them, spiritually speaking. They're greater souls than you are. So the first stage made you very small, and the second stage made you very big. Now, this is the key to true reciprocity and equality. If you just, if you just say, we're all equal, if you're starting out with equality, that sounds very nice. And maybe it's a quick and easy way to get rid of arrogance in the world or of presumptuousness. But it's also a wonderful way of creating a world in which no one learns anything from anyone. Because there are no teachers and learners anymore. Because no one is greater than anyone else. You've abolished all hierarchies. So a hierarchy can be something very, you know, it could have arrogance and dominance and all kinds of things that are they don't sound good. They're not good. But if you have two opposite complementary hierarchies, that in one of them you are the big one, on the other one you are the small one, you are on the top of one hierarchy and at the bottom of the other hierarchy, you have, a, you have a deeper, richer, more complex equality that comes from their combination. So the first hierarchy that we founded in the submission stage was the hierarchy that I'm meeting someone, a student, someone coming into my Chabad house, even my own child. 
this child, this student, this person, may be a soul much greater than me. And I need to learn from them. You can learn something from everyone, and you need to feel small. The second hierarchy, I'm at the top of it, because, not again, not because I stood up straight with my shoulders back, but because I straightened my crown. And I and I'm con- and my and my knowledge, and I connected with something that's higher, and now I'm able to stand tall and 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 teach something. And then we get to a truly interesting balance that I can teach without being arrogant. I can learn without erasing myself. I'm connected to my truth, to what I know to be true, but I'm also very humble, very open-minded open-hearted because of the first hierarchy that I'm at the bottom of. The combination creates the third interpretation, the sweetening stage, this combination. The sweetening stage is when the light simply passes through you to the other person. This is the simple original meaning. لَأَزْهِرْ gdolima الْأَكْتَنِيمْ that the light shall pass through from the big to the small, from the great to the little, from the adult to the child. Now that I have seen myself as both student and teacher, as both adult and child, as both listening, opening, watching the other person with admiration and, 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 and looking for the greatness of their soul, but at the same time, not shying away from being connected to what I know that they don't, then the light shines, but it shines in both directions. Another way of reading is to read it as to shine light or to make radiant the great as well as the small. The great and the small all together. They both become radiant with light. There's a source in the Gemara that says, it takes a verse from Proverbs, and it talks about a poor man and a man who, so the the simpler reading is, it's completely changed here. The original reading is a fraudulent man. But the Gemara changes the interpretation, reads it in a different way, and it becomes a man who knows, an in-between man. He's not the greatest, but he's not too small. He's in-between. He knows more things than the poor man. It's here, it's the intellectually or spiritually poor. So it says when a poor man, let's say someone who doesn't know something, and an ishtachim, someone who does know something, when they meet, God sh- lights up both their eyes. He shines both their eyes. Meir Hashem. God makes both of them light. And the, and the Gemara says, both of them benefit from this encounter. The poor man, the student, obviously benefits because he becomes richer. But the rich man, the one who knew things, the teacher, also grew because he learned things from the student. He learned from the questions, he learned from the way the, the student learns. He learns from the fact that the student provoked him into understanding something in a more deep way and thereby learn, teaching the other person this, this thing. So they learned uh, as, they, as they went through this.
So they both become radiant, like the radiance of heavens, which is the the source of the book of Zohar, the title. So this is our teaching for this week. We explored three levels, three stages of what it means and may we we all merit to be both small and great at the same time and then all of us will achieve true, deep, not a superficial kind of equality, but true equality, an equality in which everyone is both teacher and student, in which the Alte Rebbe says, Each person in the world is more rectified than the other person in some way, and therefore each one can learn something from the other person. And and then we arrive at true, deep, fulfilling equality, an equality in which we are all part of a bigger hierarchy, not human hierarchy in which someone is bigger than someone else, but the hierarchy in which we are all getting closer and closer to God and to His radiant light. So this is our class for this week's Parashah.